Jonathan, thank you so much for being here. Excited. I'm super excited that you're here. I'm so grateful that you came in person. It's, Absolutely. Yeah, now with the whole Zoom thing, it's got it's to see the, the highway and the streets of Miami coming down here, South Miami. Yeah, Miami and, traffic. Yeah, I mean, it's it's nothing different than being in Toronto and going down the, right. the 400, the 404 is nightmare. Right. But you've been here several times, haven't you? To Miami? Yeah. Nope. This is your first time? First time. I did not know that. First time. Yeah, when I, when I graduated high school, my parents uh, took us on a cruise, and mm-hmm. that was super exciting. So we ended up in Florida before we started cruising. Okay. And so that was the only other time I've been here before, but yeah. No, it was just wow. uh, Tabitha said um, Miami Book Fair is in mm-hmm. November, and we were launching the book in November, so she said, come down here. And then yeah. all of a sudden, she started opening up the opportunities where they're doing their own festival now. Yes. And so we're doing a men's circle. We're doing talks about mental health. We're doing open mic nights. Um, and then obviously Miami Book Fair as well, but that's uh, that's why I'm here. Yeah, that's so exciting. First time. This is, it's perfect. Because also November is Mental Health Awareness Month, right? It's uh, Movember. Yeah. So uh, I don't grow much of a stash. I'll try. <laughs> I'll try. I'll certainly, <laughs> I'll try, yo. But, uh, you know, uh, it's, it started off, Movember started off as prostate cancer mm-hmm. awareness. And uh, then they evolved and grew and expanded their horizon to be mental health awareness and suicide prevention. Right. So November is the entire month of November. So you could look at it definitely as a, a, a men's mental health awareness. Yeah, I think so. It yeah. encompasses all of that. Yeah. Um, so before we start diving in, your book, which is officially released on, remind me the date. It's November 1st. Okay, I don't want to mess up. I had in my mind November 4th. Yeah, we're doing no, pre-orders right first. now. Yes. You can pre-order at uh, manyouknowigotyou.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, if if, the, if those of you who prefer Amazon or Barnes & Noble or wherever mm-hmm. else books are sold, uh, November 1st yeah. is the published date. But just a right little a little tidbit, <laughs> if you can support an independent bookstore, please grab it from an independent bookstore. Absolutely. That's, that would be awesome. So the book, Man, You Know I Got You. Uh, so I started reading it as you and I have talks about privately and I can't I can't put it down it's amazing what you accomplished with this book it's so good um there's so much that I want to talk to you about so I'm just gonna jump dive right in what do you think defines masculinity what do you think I think yeah what do you think Masculinity uh, to me is a byproduct of um, having integrity and having wow. honor. And I would say those are the two that come to my mind first and foremost because integrity is doing what you said you were going to do. Right. And if you are playing a big game in life, so you're striving for greatness or you have ambition or you're um, dreaming big, you will fall short on what you said you were going to do over and over and over and over and over and over again. And that's both to yourself, but it's also to other people as well. So whether it's in your career or with your relationship, um, mm-hmm. with your kids, it doesn't matter. Um, so, but I can only speak for myself personally. Right. So uh, I break my word to myself constantly, all the time. But my process 
of self-awareness is to ask myself constantly, like, why did that happen? Or why did I let myself get away with that? Like a big one for me, um, just to kick off is uh, I wanted to be disciplined around waking up early Mm -hmm. because some of my mentors were doing that. And people said, it's important to wake up early. And so uh, just to backtrack, it's important to have good reasons why you do things. Mm -hmm. Because just doing it because somebody else said it was a good idea isn't enough oftentimes to get you out of the bed. Right. What's your purpose? Right? That's a great question. So why are you doing what you're doing? What is the reason behind what you're doing? Jim Rohn always said, you can accomplish any how if you have enough reasons. Yeah. If you know your why. If you have enough reasons. And so I actually wasn't doing that. Like I literally said every single night before I went to bed, I'm going to wake up at 7 a.m. tomorrow. And that, to me, it was interesting because you can create your identity around these ideas. Like I am this way or I am that way. Uh, for for many years, I woke up at 5 a.m. every morning because, again, that was what my mentors were doing. Jocko Willink, who's a Navy SEAL, he wrote Extreme Ownership. He was waking up at 4.30 every morning, and I was like, that's inspiring. I'm going to do that. I'm the 5 a.m. hustle now. And I literally made my identity about waking up at a certain time. And I got to a point where that wasn't serving me anymore, but I wanted to, again, position myself as what is masculinity while well, it's doing what I said I was going to do. So I went and I said, I'm going to wake up at seven and it wasn't happening. Hmm. And the reason it wasn't happening is because I didn't have a good enough reason to why it was happening. Um, and so what I ended up doing is I realized how important it is to get sun early in the morning to set myself up for a really powerful sleep at night Yeah. and to regulate my circadian rhythm. Right. The early sun exposure is not only really healing for my body, but it's actually communicating with the intelligence that is my body when it's time to go to sleep. And that's when the, the light is removed from the sky. So at nighttime, if you have trouble sleeping, which I was, which was another impact of not being able to wake up when I said I wanted to, um, was I just had to change my reason. And mm-hmm. when I changed my reason, it worked. And that helped me with my integrity. Um, the, the key point here with the masculinity is you won't always keep your word. And so that's where honor comes in. And the way I like to describe honor in my life for myself is uh, imagine your integrity like a bucket with a hole of water in it and it's it's leaking, right? Because you're never going to have perfect integrity. Like I didn't show up on time for this, this meeting today. I said <laughs> I was going to be at 5.30 and I showed up at 5.45. But what I did do is I honored my word by letting you know as soon as I knew I wasn't going to be here on time Mm -hmm. that I needed to push it back. And so I need a new time. So even though your bucket has a hole of water in it and you're going to make a mess on the ground, honor is cleaning up the mess. Exactly. So you can, you can still, you can still have honor even if you're not in integrity all the time. And obviously the better you get at identifying where you give your word out, but you don't keep it, um, the better it is at closing that gap of that hole because a lot of people have no uh, no flooring in that bucket at all and it's just water it's constantly. All the yeah, time. Constantly everything they say they're doing and that's really how you erode your self-confidence. Yeah. And your self-esteem yeah, and your self-image. That brings about shame and feelings of worthlessness. And, and, and like not to get into the morality of if that's good or bad or right or wrong, but Mm -hmm. like if you say you're going to do something, Mm -hmm. the minor things, like I say I'm going to wake up and I don't. Well, it eats away at 
your belief of yourself, your faith in yourself to do the things that you said you were going to do. And you become, and this is a major theme in the book, especially as you get into chapter six of becoming the type of man who takes action in the face of fear, right? And that's facing your dragons and, 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 and being willing to get on the battlefield in your life yeah. um, is if you listen to the voices of doubt long enough and you don't do what you say you're going to do long enough, then you become the type of person who doesn't do what they say they're going to do. And now you don't believe that you're actually going to do anything you say. And so you're, for good reason, your self-esteem is eroding. Yeah, you can't even rely on yourself. So what is that? how does that shape the world around you when you yourself are unreliable? Yeah. That's, that's a lot. Yeah, I mean, like, and there's, there's so much that ties into that, too. It's like trust ties into that. Well, not only did I not keep my word so my integrity is impacted, but, like, I'm not telling the truth anymore or I'm not, I can't trust myself to, to be honest anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like, what is honest? Like I'm never actually doing what I say I'm going to do. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, to come back to your original question, the way that I see is the easiest way to measure it for myself is to just look at my word. Um, yeah. what, what, it, what is my relationship with my word right now and how well am I doing of, of keeping it? Mm-hmm and having impeccable integrity. And it's not perfect, but I can strive towards getting it pretty damn close. That's such an amazing response because, you know, when you usually ask someone about what it masculinity means, you get all the, the physical mm. traits, you know, like you're in sports and you're a risk taker and you, sure. um, you're fearless. But the way you frame it, it makes so much more sense. Um, we hear a lot about toxic masculinity nowadays. Can you shed some light on that? <laughs> yeah, sure. Can you do? You, do you have any specific um, thoughts on it? Like, I do. I have. Um, or what? Your, what's your? What's your hope? Like, just in general, thoughts on it. Do, I have lots of thoughts. <laughs> I don't know if they're worthy of sharing, but oh, I'll share some all, of yeah, them with you. Yeah, let's explore them. Yeah, because um, yeah. when you say that, like when people hear toxic masculinity, they, it holds baggage. Yeah. Right. So I I was fortunate enough to grow up with extremely great male role models in my life. You know, my grandparents and my father, uh, now my husband, yeah. they are uh, very strong men who were, who are also vulnerable, which I think for me as a woman made me feel um, that much safer to see that somebody like that, so grandiose, could also be vulnerable and have fears and deal with things. Um, but when I see how the world thinks about toxic masculinity, it's uh, very interesting because it seems that what it means to be a man, you know, all the complexities of manhood become negative. You know what I mean? Yeah. Your ability to express... Uh, anger or fear or um, sadness, mm-hmm. all of that takes a negative tone. Sure. That's what I see. Yeah. I don't. You know, I would, I would add that I, I think you're, we're in alignment with that, I, that concept because the challenge that I'm finding is people are, um, especially like the politically correct culture yes. um, that, that we live in is they, what I see is they tend to conflate masculinity and toxic masculinity is the same thing. Mm-hmm. So masculinity is toxic. And I 
totally disagree. I absolutely disagree with that. I think I that too. I think that there are expressions of masculinity that can cause harm. And there's also expressions of femininity that can cause harm. Absolutely. And I'm not interested in, in talking about um, the morality of it at all. I'm talking about what works, mm-hmm. right? And that we can get outside of that. Like Rumi, as an example, said, somewhere between right and wrong, there's a garden. Yeah. I'll meet you there. And that's that garden is where I want to hang out, which is what actually works, which is what the book's about too. Because chapter one is about the belief systems that have us turn to man up and the belief systems that cause us to experience the harvest of 70% of suicides are men. Yeah. And every minute a man dies by suicide. And instead of men turning to community and honesty and facing the struggle with their brothers they turn to drugs and sex and alcohol and pornography and medication and distractions and and deny deflect avoid so when i think of toxic masculinity um there are some expressions of masculinity that are harmful and don't work one of them is the man up belief system and the interesting part about this concept that I explore in the book is that um, the first five chapters are explaining why circle up is a better idea than man up and why we need to stop using man up. Mm-hmm. And the paradox, and I think that the the best philosophy has paradox um, because you need to be able to hold both ideas to be uh, valuable and it is valuable, is that man up has value. But the way that we're experiencing it today is more difficulty than it is opportunity. Right. So the expression in many ways is, is toxic and it doesn't work. And that's what I want to talk about is like the, the, the fact that it doesn't work. So where does man up work and where doesn't it work? And the reason why I love the concept of circle up, which is what this book's about, it's why the future of men's mental health and masculinity is not man up, but circle up. The reason I like circle up is because it's more opportunity than it's difficulty. Mm-hmm. right? Man up, more difficulty than opportunity. Where is the opportunity? The opportunity is take full responsibility for the circumstances of your life, for yeah. the decisions you made, and now what you're going to do about what's happened. And when someone says man up, that's partly what they're trying to communicate, is they're trying to communicate, like, take responsibility for it. You know, it's up to you to, to move forward and to progress and to take, um, you know, Jim Rohn said, the highest sign of human maturity is to take full responsibility for your life. So that is inside of that communication. But where we go wrong and where the toxic element, if you could call it, comes into play is um, where it's the problems you're going through aren't valid or what you're experiencing isn't that big of a deal or just get over it, just move on. Um, And that doesn't work. No, because you're just putting a Band-Aid on it. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't work. And and so we can get into why Circle Up, I think, is a, is a much better approach and why it's more opportunity than difficulty. But just to circle back to the this toxic masculinity idea, it's like like any any behavior that isn't um, isn't just like kind in general. Like if you're going to talk down on people or if you're going to um, disrespect somebody, um, or you're not going to treat somebody as an equal. Like all of those are expressions of uh, being a human mm-hmm. that aren't working. 
And so I, I personally disagree that masculinity in, in the way that it's being communicated is toxic in and of itself because you need the yin and the yang. Yeah. You need the femininity and the masculinity. Um, and otherwise, you would know who you were and I wouldn't know who I am. If exactly. I didn't express my masculinity, you didn't, you didn't express your femininity. And that does not mean that I don't also express femininity as well. Yeah. Like we come together in men's circles. That in itself is, is, is a feminine right. quality of, of circling um, and yeah. being around a fire, like together in community. Like that's, that in of itself is a feminine element. That's what I think one of the most important things in your book is um, advocating for this idea that men need to get back to their brotherhood. Because mm. we as women yeah. naturally have that built in in our, you know, in our friendships, in the community that we build around ourselves. But for some reason in the recent years, men have lost that, that brotherhood, that rite of passage that all cultures have when, you know, when a, a, a boy is turning into a man. Mm. and uh, the fact that you advocate for that, I think it's extremely important. And before we move on to touch upon the cover, I think the cover is so powerful. And for those who, that are listening and not watching, so it's all you see is a fire and sh shadows of men circling around the fire and one standing. And I think that's so uh, transcendental, for lack of a better word, Right. Like, you know, this has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years and yeah. it's a sacred space. Yeah. So the fact that uh, you bring light to that, no pun intended, mm -hmm. <laughs> or maybe it was uh, the fact that you're bringing light to that. It's I think it's really important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. And I and I I don't take credit in any way for, um, you know, anything other than piecing the, together the ideas in a way that resonated with me through my own personal experience that I hope readers can connect to. And apparently it does, as you've, as you pointed out. So I appreciate that. But like we're, we're standing on the shoulders of giants who have been doing this work and have been digging the well of ensuring that the masculine presence is present in society and that hasn't left. So like, um, like as an example, circle up, it's a virtual men's community where men can come together. They can, so circle up is the first step, come together. Mm -hmm. The second step, take off your mask. Yes. So learn to honor the truth of the situation you're in. Feel that as deeply as possible. And then to heal from it and to move forward and to be empowered from that and to take action from that healed space. Um, but Circle Up is only one community of just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of communities that are doing this type of work. Um, there's every man, there's Samurai brother, Brotherhood, there's Sacred Sons, uh, Mankind Project, uh, MDI, just uh, Sterling Institute of Relationships. There's just like all of these different groups. And that's just the only ones that I have uh, connection to. But that's the goal is to, 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 to make sure that this brotherhood. Right, there's a space. That this space is, is designed for. Because uh, as, as I talked about in, the, in chapter two of the book, men wear masks. And yeah. it is not... The fact that they wear masks is not the problem Problem in of itself. The problem is that men don't have a place to take it off. Mm -hmm. And so where would they take it off is, well, when they were just, you know, with their brothers around a fire and, and they could yeah. just be themselves completely and, um, and right. let, let go and, like, they weren't on a battlefield, right? You'd go out into the battlefield and you'd wear your armor, right, to be successful, to provide, to protect, to make sure that you could 
be there and take care of yourself and your family, but also your brother that was beside you. But then when they got off the battlefield, you know, they're injured, they have wounds, they got bruises. Um, they need a place to be able to take it off, right? They need a place where they feel they're not judged, where it's a safe space. Um, they know it's confidential. Right. Everything you say, do, see, and and talk about here is confidential. Okay, well, now I don't still fully trust men because I have all this this trauma and baggage. Yeah. But that gives me a little bit of relief. So maybe today I'll, I'll tip it a bit and talk a little bit more than I typically would about some of the things that have uh, injured me in the past in my life. Right. And that's a huge key component of the book is that um, battlefields change, but warriors don't. Battlefields change, but warriors don't. The battles look different, but men still are injured. You know, our, our scrapes and our bruises and our arrows that we take on the battlefield of our lives, they look different today. Maybe we lost our business. Maybe our house burnt down. Uh, maybe we were abused and traumatized as a, as a young person um, because the, the house we'd grown was abusive. Um, those are battlefields. And in order to heal, we need a space to be able to take the armor off. And we need a space to be able to be honest. And then we need a space yeah. where we can feel it. And if you have your armor on, you can't feel it. And if you aren't honest about it, you can't feel it. Exactly. That's, it's, it's a lot, right, for, for a man to, to deal with, to have to go out there every day and face the world and not be able to have, like you say, a, a space, a moment to just let all of that down, let all of that go. And it would you could see why that would result in a lot of bigger issues like mental health and worse and beyond. Yeah, I um, listened to a really powerful audio series on Audible called Out of Your Mind by Alan Watts. He's amazing. Alan's awesome. He calls himself a spiritual entertainer, mm-hmm. and he, you can just listen to him go for hours and hours and hours and hours. Uh, he's been dead for decades, but now his his uh, philosophy is being yeah. like synced up with like EDM electronic music on on YouTube. So you can listen to like electronic music and Alan Watts in the background. I just didn't like, know that yeah, tripping you out, and you're just like, wow, okay, cool. Um, but one of the philosophies he talked about was this concept of like what is anxiety, and anxiety is when you take the microphone of an auditorium and you put it too close to the speaker and what happens? You get that It starts awful to screech feedback. and resonate yeah. and get the feedback. Um, and that's what happens when you, you feel mm-hmm. and you're hurting and you've got doubts and, and you have no place to put it. So the speaker and the mic keep coming closer and closer and closer and it keeps feedback and resonating. That's why journaling is so useful. Yes. Right? That's why... Uh, AA is so useful because people go and they just share and they talk about what they're thinking about. Um, And that's why a men's circle could be so powerful as well because like, hey, I've never shared this with anybody before, but this is what I've gone through. And it's like, wow, all of a sudden the microphone gets pulled a little bit further away from the speaker, right? Yeah. Um, Like as an example, uh, just nothing I've talked about in the book before, um, but last couple of weeks I experienced a a panic attack um, and anxiety and, and just like, like, this just terrible feeling of dread. And uh, in the past where I would have been like, well, nobody wants to hear this. I, I literally have dozens of men in my life now where I can call them immediately and say, hey, this is what's going on with me right now. And just talking about it makes it easier. Mm-hmm. Just knowing that somebody has my back no matter what 
makes it easier. Yeah. And that's the feeling that we're trying to show with men, you know, I got you is that men do have your back. And the key is, is that I've got their back, right? And the, and I think the other misconception is that you need a lot of people. Like I said, a dozen, but that's only because I've been doing this work for years and years and years now. And I've been intentionally cultivating these relationships. Mm-hmm. So when I say in the book that what, what we're, what we need to do about the men's mental health crisis is create more spaces that are designed for men to take their mask off. What I'm saying is we need to be intentional about that design, right? So I'm not sure if uh, any of your listeners are psychedelic fans or if you're a psychedelic fan yourself and we don't need to get into that, but, um, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but the, the most, the two most important keys in a psychedelic experience, um, is set and setting. Okay. And How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan is a great first step for a lot of people that are interested in psychedelics or learning about the possibilities. And they're more useful for people in middle life, uh, 40s, 50s, than it is for young people. And the reason is because is by the time you're 35 years old, Joe Dispenza's research, um, Joe Dispenza is a phenomenal uh, meditation, neuroscientist, speaker, author, um, by the time you're 35 years old, virtually all of your life is automated behaviors, mm-hmm. memorized habits, perceptions, beliefs about the world. They're they're automatic. They're memorized. Yeah. It's just wiring that you've designed in your brain that just keeps repeating and cycling. And so unless you're a very self-aware person where you're actually questioning yourself constantly, what do I believe and how am I acting and are these patterns serving me into these habits are bringing me closer to the person I've always wanted to be, psychedelics can be really useful for them to help shake up that that old conditioning and that old pattern. So not to go too deep into there, but um, that's what happens to your brain. It's like a computer that's trying to make it as easy as possible to get through your day uh, to do all of the same things it did yesterday is the fastest way to do that. So in, in How to Change Your Mind, Michael Pollan says set and setting. Okay. Most important things. So you have to control... Um, the set is the intention. The intention and the place, Mindset obviously. And the setting. Okay. Right? Do so, you have experience with psychedelics? Yes. And how 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 was that? Uh, very positive for the most part. Okay. Um, I it's a it's an illegal substance, um, and in the in the fifties and sixties they were using psychedelics to treat people uh, with alcohol addiction. Mm-hmm. And uh, interestingly enough, the founders of AA experienced a psychedelic experience um, and thought about how can we incorporate psychedelics into our treatment uh, for AA and for alcoholics. And uh, I don't think their board uh, thought that would work for them, so they didn't end up doing that. But uh, that was that's the history. Is in the fifties and sixties, it was primarily being used for mm-hmm. treating addiction. And there's so much research now that shows Absolutely. the positive impact that Absolutely. it has with addictions mental health issues yep um yeah there's a lot yeah there. uh timothy leary um is is pretty well known you can again go check out how to change your mind by michael Pollan. Mm-hmm. that gives if you're interested in the research and the history behind uh the psychedelics um in the 50s and 60s it had a lot of possibility a ton of possibility especially for treating addiction and then um it got all that research was kiboshed uh, swept under the rug. The government considered it to be a Schedule One drug, which has no medical benefits or or opportunities, and uh, and illegal and enforceable by law. Of course, um, which 
personally just doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah. like I think always the first thing I always try to consider when I'm choosing uh, what to believe and how to think is does it make sense? Yes. And it just like there was there was too much possibility um, to 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 put it that way. But if you think about the war on drugs and how marijuana had people in in prison for 20 years for having a small bag of weed on them. Um, you know, your listeners are probably going to have their own belief systems about uh, different drugs. And and my my belief is that you can't call uh, psychedelics a drug and not call caffeine a drug or alcohol a drug or, or marijuana a drug. Like it's just an altered state of consciousness. And there's so many cultures that have proven sure. it's ingrained for hundreds of years in their for culture sure. that have been able to successfully use this in a positive way. You know, you don't have junkies in the Peruvian Andes. They are they actually use it in a way that it brings purpose and results. Yeah. Absolutely. In a lot of uh in a lot of native communities, the Alcohol is very pervasive, and the the best treatment that they have for alcohol is peyote, which is another psychedelic. Yeah. Um, and so, anyway, my my personal experiences. I, I wasn't planning on telling any stories about my my personal experiences <laughs> using them. You don't although, have to. although I I will I will say that um, they they align with a lot of the values that I hold um, in in Circle Up, which is tell the truth. Mm-hmm love, unity, connection. Um, a lot of the prevailing situation that we have in society today seems to be disconnection and separation. And um, what psychedelics tend to do for people is make them feel more connected and integrated and uh, connected to nature, connected to themselves, connected to other people. Um, and the, the reason why that happens is because a lot of people that are experiencing depression or a lot of people that are experiencing addiction, the research shows that the the brain is has very rigid linkages. So in the same way where if you're 35 years old, virtually your entire life is a set of automated behaviors and memorized patterns. If you're addicted, let's say to drinking, to smoking cigarettes, using cocaine, shopping, shopping, pornography, yeah, um, all of these different. Uh, addictions and challenges um it's a it's a it's a pattern in the brain where the linkages fire together and routing into that connection is the easiest thing to do and it just keeps recycling that that linkage and connection a lot of people describe it um as feeling like they're in a mental prison and so the easiest way to describe it is to use the analogy of a ski hill I know in Miami you don't get y'all don't get get a lot of snow what in is Mi- that? you don't get a lot of snow in Miami, but in Toronto and Canada we get tons of snow. Um, and so to think of it as like the way you live your life is like skiing down the same groove. I see. Every day, every time you make the same decision, every time you do the same thing. So you wake up in the morning, the first thing you do is check your phone. Yeah. That is a groove that you have now dug, and then every time you do it, it gets deeper and it gets deeper and it gets deeper. So alcoholics, everything we talked about, it's the same thing. Every time you choose to, to drink, it deepens that groove. Every time um, you're anxious and you choose to click the online shopping button, like you said, it deepens the groove and it deepens the groove. And so now you're skiing down this deep groove that is harder and harder to get out of because the groove is so deep. 
Um, even if you try to change your life, try to do something differently, it's so deep that you end up falling back in the same groove again. Um, and one quote that I didn't put in the book that I wish I would have put in the book is a Warren Buffett quote that says, the chains of habit are too weak to be felt until they are too strong to be broken. That's a good quote. Too weak to be felt until they're too strong to be broken because the groove is so deep now yeah. that you fall back into it. And so what psychedelics can do for people, and they've proven to do for people, is to, as if a new fresh powder was to fill in all the grooves and, and the, you can start anew. And you, there's possibility, right? Yeah. So the point is, is with set and setting. So set being the mindset or the intention going in. People don't just quit smoking because they take psychedelics. But right. if they do psilocybin-assisted therapy and the intention with the therapist is over the course of a few sessions, the reason I'm doing this is because I want to quit smoking or the reason I'm trying to do this is because of XYZ reason. And then they take the, ex the experience with that intention. The possibilities are... Are, are, are massive because we're so suggestible that when you've shaken up that snow globe and you've allowed all that fresh powder to fall on top of those deep grooves of how you've lived your life, you can look at your life from a different angle and a different perspective. And uh, you did it with a, with a suggestion. And I think the last element that I don't really get into in this book at all um, is uh, a mystical experience, right? A lot of people have a mystical experience and they can feel connected to spirituality, something greater than themselves, which is something that we miss deeply in this culture. Yeah, I agree with that. And that's actually something that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, you know, the, the lack of spirituality that our culture seems to be experiencing. Do you think that adds to this spike in mental health issues that we see? Without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt, um, there's so many reasons why we struggle, mm -hmm. right? And to, to pick pick one out and to not pick the other ones out is challenging because everything is interrelated and everything is interwoven. Everything is connected. It's a it's a tapestry, yeah. right? And uh, like as an example, the next book that I want to write is about uh, wellness more broadly. Like this book is very focused on mental health, but my finances, my emotions, my spirituality – my mental health and my physical health are all connected into becoming self-sufficient as an individual, right? So mental health is only one of those areas, but every single one of them impacts my mental health. So as an example, um, if I have back pain, that will weigh down on your, your thoughts yeah. and you will doubt and you will start to see your life through this lens of, um, you know, sh shit, my back hurts. Right? And that will impact your mental health in a big way. And now your question is spirituality. Mm -hmm. Now, depending on how you look at spirituality, it looks different for everybody. Yeah. Right? Uh, but you know, more broadly is you know, believing in something bigger than yourself. Right? right? Um, but some people might describe spirituality as like feeling like you have a purpose, mm -hmm. feeling connected to, to your purpose. And I think that might connect to more broadly this higher, higher power as well because like, you know, like it's like, why am I here? Right, so what's my purpose? Like, did some higher power put me here for a reason? Or was it just all random? And it's like, it doesn't really matter what you believe, but do you believe in something greater than yourself? Right. So, and is that belief serving you? That's a good good question, right? Because yeah. a lot of people, you got to ask yourself is, um, the big question of life is, is the juice worth the squeeze? Exactly. So it's like, if someone commits suicide, then, you know, I mean, it depends on, uh, again, which community, like I'm open-minded to different ideas. Um, some communities believe that someone doesn't commit suicide, they die by suicide, right? And there's a differentiation there. 
dying by suicide is someone that not wasn't necessarily making that decision, right? It, it's uh, it was like a spur of the moment. Yeah, it was like uh, you know they they you know they weren't being rational. They're in a crisis situation. They're not I in control. See. Okay, right. So um, like on the mental health spectrum, healthy, stressed, struggling, crisis. The, the whole the whole definition of crisis is not in control. Like if I had a heart attack right now, there's nothing Jonathan can do other than to be as calm as possible while you call an ambulance to come pick me up because I'm not in control anymore. I had that experience before. Um, somebody had a heart attack in a line that I was in. And so to, to think that they were going to take care of themselves right there or to do something logical right there didn't make any sense because they're totally out of control. And so some people would argue that they die by suicide. And... Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, interested in um, which one's right or wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but so, you know, some people might say to themselves, "It's not worth it," right? So, to, to like you were saying, is like, is is the belief system I have serving? You'd have to believe that we're in a we're in an optimal uh, life situation where it's more opportunity than difficulty. Yes. Because if you really believe that it was more difficulty than opportunity, then why would you mm -hmm. stick around? And right, so it's so important. Comes in. It's so important to believe that it's it, the juice is worth the squeeze. A hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent. And uh, and I'll just I'll just talk about uh, an idea that I get into in chapter one, which is the outcomes in our lives are pointing at something. So 70 percent of suicides are men. Yeah, it's pointing at something. And at a prime age, usually, right? We're very young men. I, I mean, it's like it's it's pretty much across the board, candidly, because like for youth, the number one re health related cause of death for youth is between fifteen and twenty four is suicide. So, mm -hmm. um, but that's like through through all age groups, it's a it's a challenge. Yeah. Um, but it's it's pointing at something. It's pointing that our beliefs don't work, because if they did work, we would have better fruit. Um, so the the outcome, the harvest. In fall time, you know, when the farmer goes into the fields, yeah. in the spring, he's planting seeds so that in the fall, he has a harvest. And the outcome, the results is the harvest. So the 70% stat is our harvest. So something about the seeds that we're planting in our perceptions, our beliefs, and our thoughts are not leading us to positive outcomes, which is the reason why I wrote the book, because men feel like they need to take on the burdens of their life alone. And that they're the only ones going through what they're going through. And all you have to do is look at 70% of suicides are men to realize that all these men are going through the same thing that you're going through. Yeah. So you're not alone. Not only are you not alone because I've got your back and that there's communities of men who've got your back, but we're dealing with the same shit. It's a different flavor, of course. Everyone has their individual, right. unique um, experience. But... We're we're in the we're we're in it with you, man. We're in the trenches. We're in the, we're in it with you, man. We're on the battlefield with you, dude. And so you're not alone. And uh, and so once we can kind of rewire that that like, but again, it's like when I'm struggling or when I'm in crisis, like the blur the lines blur between what's logical and what makes sense and what what doesn't make sense. Of course. So in Atomic Habits, James Clear has an idea of making the right decision or making the hard thing to do as easy as possible. So what is the, the most important thing a man can do when he's struggling? Get help. Get help. Ask for help. 
have somebody know that you're struggling so you're not dealing with it alone. So people are listening and paying attention and asking you, like I got a text from my my best friend Ian today saying, how you doing today, bro? Because he knows that two weeks ago I had a panic attack. And so he's following up with me. Um, and it's not a burden for him. We're best friends. Yeah. Right. And some people might say that they don't have anyone that would do that for them. It's like this is a, 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 a this is a relationship that has been in process that I've, we've been cultivating this relationship for years. And and a lot of people think they need a dozen people to trust. They don't. They need one, right, or two, um, and then it'll grow from there. But that's that's how it works. And so, making the easiest, the hardest thing to do, which is to ask for help, the easiest thing possible means put yourself in a position to be supported if you're struggling. So I'm in a men's circle every single week because that way, even if I don't feel like asking for help, they're going to see the look on my face and be like, there's something wrong with Andrews. Or they're going to hear the tone of my voice and they're going to say, what's up with you, man? Or they're going to ask me when I get to the meeting, how you doing on a scale from one to 10? I'm going to say five and they're going to say, what's up? Yeah. And so to make it easy on yourself, if, uh, if you're struggling is like find spaces where these conversations are common find relationships and come together with your brothers and men where these conversations are, are happening and they're, and they're appropriate. What would you suggest to someone that is struggling and their, their friend group is um, part of that, of the issue? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like your... Their surroundings is, you know, if you have somebody struggling with addiction and... Yeah. Your friends are the ones calling you up and telling you, hey, let's go grab that drink. Yep. Come on, you know, you got to come outside. You got to hang out or whatever. It's just five minutes. Um, you know, all of a sudden they have to not just change themselves, but their framework and mm -hmm. their so-called support system. Mm -hmm. How? What would you say to someone in that situation? Well, I would say first and foremost, it's it's not a it's not an easy situation to be in. It's a challenging challenging situation to be in. Um, because in many ways you are the master of your fate, right? And you have to take full ownership for the decisions you make. And simultaneously, you also need to recognize that you are a product of your environment as well. So I impact you, you impact me. Mm -hmm. We're interdependent and interconnected. And so if you are serious about you know you're struggling, you say, this isn't working for me because maybe your body is communicating that you have pain somewhere or maybe you're feeling anxiety or depression or panic attack or you know your bank account only has $20 in it. Like These are all signs of something isn't working. And so if, if, if you're being communicated to that it's not working and you're struggling, it, you need to make the decision to do something different. But you also right. have to you also have to listen. So, I mean, in the book, I get into uh, where will you be in five years? It's a big question. And Jim Rohn has a has a philosophy on associations called the law of associations, and he says there's uh, there's uh, expanded associations, limited associations, and disassociations. And the challenge with you're trying to quit drinking and all your buddies drink is that you're shooting yourself in the foot. It's like people want to have discipline around their nutrition, but they have all these cookies in their house and these desserts in their house. You don't need discipline if you don't bring it into your house. Yeah. Right? So it's important to ask yourself the question is like, can I make this easy on myself? Well, you can actually make it easy on yourself. The first thing to do is to be honest and to say these relationships 
aren't serving me in this area. Now it's possible that they don't serve you in more areas than that. And then it's important to be honest with yourself. Am I willing to do anything about it? Do you find that difficult, uh, you know, when you've engaged with with the, the men in your circles for them to be honest? Of course. And how do you how do you guide that to get to that point where they can really take a look at something and be objectively honest? Because that can be scary. Um, you know, being honest and taking ownership of your crap yeah. can be scary because then it's it's all on you. You can't make excuses anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think uh, fundamentally, I would have to caveat it by saying that the majority of people that come to a space like a men's circle are looking for that type of accountability. Good. That's right? good to hear. Yeah. So it's very difficult, if not impossible, to take a man that is, is disinterested in improving his circumstances or disinterested. Like as an example, a lot of men will say, I don't need anything like that. I don't like I'm good. And then and they absolutely might be. And it's not up to me to decide whether or not if they're good or not. Now, if they're in a crisis situation, it's crystal clear that their life is falling apart and that somebody is at risk. Then I have a choice. I got to step in and take a stand for that man to serve him and serve myself as well. Because um, remember when you wake tomorrow and reflect on how to live and who to be by being you, I am me. So every person that I interact with impacts me. And so I'm taking a stand for myself as well when I take a stand for a brother. Um, so, you know, if, if they're not interested, they don't think they need anything like that, it's not up to me to decide for them to, to change anything. But I can help them by, uh, we, we have something in the circle called inspection, right? We're going to inspect a man on an area of their life to help them see what they may not see because they're bullshitting themselves or they have blind spots or they're lying. Yeah. And inspections are almost impossible if a man doesn't consent to it. So if, if I see sense. someone struggling and I say, hey, bro, I, I really want to be honest with you about this thing um, that I see going on, but they haven't consented to me sharing constructive feedback from my perspective. And it not, it's not even right or wrong. It's just what I see. Um, it's almost virtually impossible. So it de I would say it depends on the severity because if someone is really struggling, like you, you might not have a choice but to take a stand for them, right? You might not have a choice but to, to call them out on it. And that's why you we get into a, an idea in the book called Ruthless Compassion, where if a man is takes arrows on the, on the battlefield of his life, which he will, because the only way to avoid arrows is to have us put you in the corner put a blanket over your head and feed you three meals a day, what kind of life's that? Yeah, that's that's no way to live. <laughs> right? And so you're going to take air, like and the the point is is that the warrior the warrior spirit knows that arrows are part of being on the battlefield. He knows that. That's why he trains. That's why he's getting ready his whole life to go on the battlefield. And so when a man takes an arrow on the battlefield, um, and he's wearing his armor and he's wearing his mask and he hasn't talked about it and he's struggling and he's bleeding out because every arrow he takes that he doesn't deal with and he doesn't feel and he doesn't heal from causes him to doubt himself more and more, right? It's a doubt that kills the warrior. And these arrows 
that he takes on the battlefield that he never deals with causes him to doubt himself more and more because he's now taken on these burdens and these challenges and he hasn't healed from any of them and he's bleeding out literally. And so ruthless compassion would be um, different than the way culture typically approaches it. And that's why this book is written because you get either one of two things. You get either man up, which is mm -hmm. ruthlessness. And that would be like you running over to the man, taking the arrow and pulling it out of his body and saying, man up. Get up. Keep and going. Get back in the battlefield. But he's now he's got a bigger wound and yeah. it's bleeding on the floor and nobody's helping him. And, no and he's, one has helped him heal. Nobody's helping him heal. Yeah. And uh, Or the opposite, which is we we hold them and we love them and we hug them and we support them. That's a huge uh, misconception. Circle Up is not a support group because it's it's that's not ruthless compassion. That's just compassion. Yeah. And the problem with that is that in the short term, he might feel good and that's okay. We want him to, to feel like, absolutely, we're here for you. We got your back, like no matter what. You know I got you. But he's still got a fucking arrow in his shoulder. Right. He hasn't he hasn't pulled it and he hasn't healed from it. And so ruthless compassion is the guy struggling and you walk up to him and you say, Hey brother, I just want you to know, no matter what, I got your back. I'm here for you. I love you. And meaning it. Yes, that's that's a big one. And then and then to say, and you got this arrow in your shoulder, what the fuck are we gonna do about that? Exactly. And that is so hard. And so challenging and not taught because instant gratification is sweet today, but bitter tomorrow. And ruthless compassion is bitter right now, but sweet later. Um, and so we don't want to have uncomfortable conversations. We don't want to have difficult conversations. We don't want to have conversations that make us um, feel like we're going to vomit. Um, and so again, making it as easy as possible. That's why men's circles exist. That's why men's teams exist. That's why masculine relationships exist because the purpose of the relationship, and I even I even distinguish this in my life. I'm sorry if we're going on a tangent here, but- No, absolutely not. I even distinguish this. I've got friends and I've got my men and they're different people. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and it's interesting because as I serve more and I spend more time in this community, I, I spend less time with my friends. And again, I'm not interested in right or wrong. It's just the way it's going right now is because the people in my men's circle are my are my men because I'm serving with them. We're taking on community projects together. We're talking about really important information. And my friends are the people that I just like <laughs> let loose let with, loose. have fun. Just yeah. like, I'm not worried about like, am I disciplined today? Or... Because Jonathan is a multi-dimensional person, right? And you need all these different aspects of who you are to be fulfilled. Stop trying to put me in a box. Exactly. <laughs> like, so I, it Jonathan's got to be this one sense. thing. It's like, I can do I can do anything I want. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I can serve over here and I can come over here. Um, so thank you for recognizing that. I appreciate that. And, uh, and I love my friends. Yeah. And I love my friends. And if they want to come over here and hang out over here, I'm down to do They're that. They're welcome. <laughs> I'm down to do that. And it's in, and like some of my men are, are my friends as well. But again, the distinguishing factor is what is the purpose? Mm -hmm. The purpose of the my, of my my men is the set and setting. The setting, sorry, the set. The mindset is that we are coming here to have important conversations about who we are as a men and where we want to go with our lives. 
Right. And the setting is typically a confidential space where everything I say, do, and, and see here is confidential. Right? I can take the lessons into my life and apply them, but the stories of a man, the names of the man, they're all confidential. Um, and with my friends, like, have you ever watched the TV show Friends? Of course. It's like literally the epitome <laughs> of what friendship is, is like everyone tells everyone everything. There's no yeah. secrets. Um, and, uh, and just like a lot of things that I wouldn't share with my friends. Uh, and not because Jonathan has anything to hide. It's because if I'm going to share, I'm going to say, hey, just so you know, John, this isn't confidence. And that's how you develop a masculine relationship. Because otherwise, like, everyone can say everything to everyone. And, and that's okay. It's not like I've got anything to hide. Like I said, it's like, but some things are are not meant for everyone to, to share. Like in uh, in chapter two, I talk a lot about my, my physical health challenges. Mm-hmm. But I didn't get into all the details of all the things that have ever happened and every doctor checkup that I ever had, like, no, it's not appropriate for this context. And that's the setting is like, is it appropriate for the context? Right. Um, I don't know if I answered your question about a man struggling. You it, did. It's you a, did. It's putting yourself in a position to be supported and putting yourself in a position to support other men. That is what community is designed for, is to help where you're strong, so serve where you're strong, and to be served where you're weak, to ask for help where you're weak. Which is not a sign of weakness at all. No, absolutely not. It's the most courageous thing you could ever do is to admit yeah. that I need help in this area. Definitely. Do you think, because um, I've made this observation and I don't know how accurate it is, but it feels like, um, you know, the millennials, Generation C uh, people, yep. men in particular, have a much harder time with... Um, how should I phrase this? Uh, with well, it's your show, so <laughs> choose <laughs> choose wisely. Choose wisely. You know what? I'm just gonna go for it. With um, owning up to, like you say, responsibility, truth, brutal honesty, yeah. that ruthlessness that is so necessary for us to evolve and move on to the next version of ourselves that serves us and those around us. It seems that they, we, because I'm a millennial I, as well, we really struggle with that. Have you noticed the Telling pattern? Telling the truth? Yeah. And just um, living a life that encompasses everything that it means to be a person, right? Your struggles, your fears, your successes, your failures. Um, I don't know if that's making sense. Yeah, I hear you. I'm just, what's the what's the question? Oh, the question is, do you have you seen a pattern with that age group when it comes to these type of struggles, you know what I mean? Because I feel like the previous generations, everyone had sort of like a stronger basis for how to approach life. Like they had a much more clear roadmap on what to do Mm -hmm. and how to do it. Mm -hmm. And it seems like our generation has a much more difficult time. Yeah, I think it's it's an excellent uh, observation. And I would say the internet is a very like a defining moment in time where it changed, it literally just changed the landscape of the world. So we can't expect the way we operated before to be the same as the way we operate after that happens. Yeah. Um, and a lot of adults that I speak to, because the cool part about our men's circle is that it's like an intergenerational mentorship mm-hmm. where a lot of the men that I hang out with that are my men are 40s, 50s, 60s. And so they've made all the mistakes that I'm going to make in the next 15 years 
and I can learn from those errors. And so you're right. They do say, you know, it was it was different. But I would say that um, I don't like putting people in a box in a group. So this generation needs to make a decision of what is their personal philosophy? How are they going to live their lives? Yeah. Right? Jim Rohn said, <laughs> uh, and this is a, a major component of the book, is your life, uh, where you end up has way less to do with the wind and way more to do with the set of your sail. He said, think of your personal philosophy like the sail on a sailboat. The wind of life is going to blow on everybody. So everybody got the internet or virtually everybody got the internet. Mm -hmm. Virtually everybody got TikTok and Instagram and Facebook. Where you end up has a lot less to do with what happens and a lot more to do with what you do about it, with your personal philosophy, the set of your sail. So do I see that as a challenge? Well, I mean, it just depends on the individual's personal philosophy. So the way that I look at it for myself is simple and honorable. That's right. kind of my two-pronged, and this is picked up off a mentor, right? And this this man this was born in a different generation before the internet, right? So how do I become successful as a man? Well, let's keep it as simple as possible. And the easiest way to keep it simple is to tell the truth, right? Because then you got to keep track of all the lies you told. You right, you get caught in that caught in that web, web. Yeah. that web, and then we already talked about like just completely eroding your own self esteem and your own belief in yourself and your own trust in other people. If I can't tell the truth, how the hell's how could I possibly believe that other people tell the truth? Exactly. Right. So I see what I am in the world, and so uh, I, I don't think I'm doing a very good job of answering your question about no, this, you this, are this you generation of people. I'm taking I'm taking this show. <laughs> the rails everybody you're talking about Jim Rohn um where you end up has a lot less to do with your uh with the wind he said the the political wind and the social wind and the and the the financial wind is gonna blow on everybody like everyone experiences again arrows on the battlefield of their lives it's unique for yourself of course but where you end up has a lot less to do with what happens and a lot more to do with how you set your sail and your personal philosophy and so I mean, there's going to be a lot of young people who are going to choose perhaps because of what they were taught by their parents, perhaps because of what they saw on the internet, perhaps what they read in a book that they're going to choose to tell the truth or they're going to choose to have integrity or they're going to choose to, you know, uh, to grow up in, in that way. And there's going to be, you know, some, some other people, it's, it's like we only express what we believe to be true in our, yeah. in our, in our minds and our belief system. So somebody could uh, tell white lies and, and not even know that they're doing that or think it's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm, I'm, again, I'm not here to judge anybody for how they live. I just know what I want to do. Right. And what I want to do is heal and feel empowered yeah. and to lead. And, uh, and I've tried saying whatever I need to say to get what I want. And it works, but it doesn't feel good. And it works, but it hurts people. Right. And uh, I think it's interesting because this book is about men. Um, but the, the, the people that taught me most about truth are women. That's interesting. Yeah. Like relationships, right? Where yeah. I said what I what I thought I needed to say or what I what I thought they wanted to hear, but it wasn't necessarily exactly the truth. Like I kind of like, you know, like fudged it a bit just so that it came out prettier and came yeah. out nicer. Um and and it worked. Like they liked me or or they did in the short term, but in the long term, again, it was sweet up front, bitter in the end. Um and it it 
it failed because I got to a point where I need I needed to tell the truth. So like as an example, um, I was dating this girl and um, she said to me one day, she said, I like you and I'm not gonna I'm not interested in in us being together if you're gonna be seeing any other girls. And I had already made up the decision in my head that I wanted to have fun, open, casual relationships. And I said to her, no problem. I would never do that. <laughs> Sorry, it's not funny. I know. It's fine. Don't worry. I, I thought, I mean, it's like in retrospect, it's like, God damn, you're an idiot. Because um, I could have just said, hey, you know what? Like, actually, that doesn't work for me. Um, right. This is what that's I'm. That's not where I am right that, now. That's not where I'm at. Yeah. Right. Um, but I said, nope. That's cool. Works for me. Sounds good. And I and I did like her a lot. I really did. Um, she's awesome. Um, super cool girl. And uh, I uh, I slept with another woman. And uh, I was at a men's team meeting, and everyone was kind of like, "What's what's up with you these days, man? Like like today, you're not you're like you look weird." And I was just like, "Honestly, guys, like I told this girl that I wasn't gonna do anything, and I did, and now I'm kind of upset at myself." Um, and there was kind of like debate on the team of like what John, what Andrew should do. And it wasn't like that. I wasn't like there to have any consult, but hearing what men said about it allowed me to explore it myself. Right. Right. And to see what do I actually think about this? Do I agree with that? Do I disagree with that? Um, and I, and I came to the conclusion that, uh, to the disagreement of most of the people, but that's fine. Um, that I needed to tell her that I did this and I did. And I told her. Yeah, I agree with that, by the way. Yeah, and it wasn't like even like a serious relationship, but I betrayed her trust in me. Mm-hmm. I disrespected her. And you betrayed your own word. Totally. Even though when you said it, you didn't mean it, but you still said it. You said I, that intention. I said it. Yeah. Uh, and so anyway, that when I told her and that experience happened, that really shook me because I, I liked her a lot. And uh, and I realized that I can lie. Um. And I and I can let myself get away with it too if I don't if I don't tell the truth, obviously. Um, and just like it hurts so much that I decided that it would be I would rather a woman reject me, but tell the truth and feel good about it, right. and feel like I respected them and I honored my word, than getting what I wanted uh, by lying. And so, I mean, like. You, you know, the young people today will have to make their own errors in judgment like I did. Yeah. Um, Jim Rohn said failure is just errors in judgment repeated every single day. And so some people will make errors in judgment and then learn from them. And some people will continue to make errors in judgment over and over. And the one I decided was that I wanted to tell the truth. And uh, that and was that's it. liberating, right? Yeah. I always tell people. It's not always um, fun, but. <laughs> it's not fun, but it is liberating. I always tell people, you know, the truth hurts, but a lie yeah. hurts even more. Mm. You know, it's you can bounce back from the pain of truth because you can find value in it. You cannot bounce back from the pain of a lie. Yeah, it takes a lot more work. Yeah, because then you really question, like it's everything. You, yeah, you just Trust. question, like, do I do I even know who this person is? Do I know who I am yeah. because I had I believed in that so. You know, hopefully that that experience and that is not the only <laughs> error and judgment that Jonathan made in that that area of his life. But um, you know, I, I do feel like that tr- that that was an important turning point for me. It was a lesson. Yeah, it was a super important lesson. It hurt a lot, and I think that's where uh, that's where a lot of my strength comes from is is paying attention to those times when I really hurt myself mm-hmm. and I hurt someone else. Yeah, and that can be difficult to do. Yeah.
I mean, the whole the whole concept of my next book, if uh, if I get there, <laughs> you will. If I get there, is a, is a, is about being able to tell the truth to women, like talking to women, because like a lot of men believe that the only way they can get what they want is to um, to say whatever they need to say. And I would totally disagree, based off of my own personal experience, that you can be one hundred percent honest and still get what you want. Yeah, and it might be, even and be, be easier and be respected for it too. Yeah, and be respected for it as well, and have like. In the last couple years, I know this is not what this podcast is about, but <laughs> what's up, Miami Lit? Thanks for having me on the show. Um, in, in the last couple years, uh, after having that experience, mm-hmm. I've dated women. And when this book came out, I reached out to them and said, hey, would you, would you read this and provide me some feedback or review it for me? And we have an amazing relationship because when I met them, I said, hey, I'm not looking for anything serious. I'm I'm looking for something that's fun and that we can we can we can enjoy each other's company um, and the ones that were into it because not all of them were obviously um, we have amazing relationships today because they, they're like Jonathan was the guy that told me it was the truth. based on truth and so I'm not saying like I'm this like fucking perfect <laughs> like perfect like perfect dude because um, like obviously I'll get rejected for doing that but I feel good knowing that like the door is always open. Yeah. And uh and uh and that like we have a great relationship and I honored them. Right. And I respected them and told the truth that's what that story was about. Yeah. I feel like every kind of relationship fails when one person feels at a disadvantage. Hmm. So the fact that you're approaching these relationships at an evil playing field, you know what I mean? You're like this is where I'm at, this is where I am, this is what I want. Yeah. Take it or leave it. It's, you know, removes that disadvantage for the other person making it successful yeah i mean and and like the the cool part is like you know a person gets to decide for themselves with like as accurate as information as possible exactly right and some people will be looking for a committed relationship but the point of the next book is to show men that they're probably not ready for it yeah that's the whole point it's like this book do you think men are afraid of commitment um i think they should be afraid of commitment Really? Absolutely. Why? Because they're not ready for it. Wait. Okay. Let's define what is commitment. Yeah, it's a good the question. The speech teacher in me. It's a good good question. <laughs> ask him. which teacher? <laughs> the speech. Speech. Yeah. My the way I see it is is like a is marriage, right? Um, marriage. Yeah. Okay. Like a, see, like I don't I don't commitment see it to as a, that commitment like to a partner. Grand, like one person. Grandiose, you know, such a big thing to me. Commitment it's as small as like you said at the beginning, keeping your word. Being honest, uh, creating a space where everyone understands where everybody stands. To me, that's commitment. And then saying, okay, uh, this is where we're heading. Or this is where I'm headed. Are you on the same page as I am? That's what I think of when I want to define commitment. You went all in there, like yeah, marriage. Yeah, I mean, kids. like I mean, the other thing is like there's there's other types of relationships as well. Like there's, uh, I know this isn't the purpose of this podcast, but like polyamory what? and other 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 styles of relationship. But but the reason I say the reason I say marriage as an example is because that's if you were to ask somebody what their relationship goal is, like we're dating. What's our goal? Well, our goal is to be together. Mm-hmm. Right, and so the way I've decided for myself that it makes sense. I'm not saying other people need to believe this. Um, you know, the, 
I, I think everyone should have uh, their own personal unique philosophy on how they live, right? And I take bits and pieces from things that I like and I leave the stuff out that I don't like from other people. Um, but one of the philosophies that I picked up along the way was that until I'm ready for a committed relationship, I should just let them know I'm not ready for a committed relationship. Yeah. Um, and one of the qualifications for being ready for a committed relationship is to be fully self-sufficient as a man in the way that I've perceived it for myself. Know who you are as a man. So what are your terms? So basically I'll, <laughs> I will compromise on everything except for my terms. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's another way. The question at the beginning is what is masculinity? It's knowing who you are as a man. Yeah. So you know what to compromise on and what not to. You like, have your boundaries. Yeah, if someone says like, you know, if, if my, let's say my, my partner says like, you know, let me paint the walls purple. And I'd be like, well, unless I have a term around the walls being a certain color, then yeah, absolutely go for it. Like go crazy. Like let's get a paintbrush and start going for it. But if, if like, if it's, uh, you know, around honesty as an example, if, if they said, you know, we got to say this to your parents so that they don't, it's like, no, that's not cool. I don't, I will not tolerate that. That's the battlefield that I'll die on. Um, so know who I am as a man, be fully self-sufficient, know my purpose. I've chosen success as something that's really important to me because that's actually one of the major benefits of being in a committed relationship is that you can focus on your career, yeah. focus on your purpose. So you don't have to expend energy trying to find a, per a partner, right? Or worry about right. partner partnership because you have a partner, yeah. right? So you can build something together. And hopefully it's a partner that exactly that you, uh, that adds to you. Mm-hmm doesn't take away yeah. you know what i mean that adds to your life yeah like you two While are a you dynamic duo life. here oh thank you yeah, absolutely you got the setup here <laughs> and uh you got the the kids and the dog and the, <laughs> yeah the, it's a family affair today yeah <laughs> yeah um but you know it 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 took work for sure and and many years of understanding it but i think what has always been on our side is that we're both brutally honest nice and we appreciate so when my husband will say things to me that I don't want to hear, mm. instead of turning that off, I like take a second and get myself together and actually listen. And he does the same. Um, so I think that's made a difference. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're not honest, then it just breeds resentment, right? Yeah. Um, one of the major keys of the book is in chapter six. I talk about there's no such thing as a dragon. Perfect. Yeah, perfect timing because I want to talk to you about that. Yeah. So there's a children's book called There's No Such Thing as a Dragon. And it's a really powerful lesson for uh, masculinity where mm -hmm. we wear masks and we kind of deflect and deny and avoid the truth. Um, and, and as we were discussing here, it comes up in relationships a lot where we, we say half-truths or we avoid talking about certain things um, as a, you know, to, to avoid conflict yeah. in our relationship. And so as the story goes... Billy Bixby is his name. Billy wakes up one morning and he has this dragon beside his bed. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of cute. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, the size of a kitten and it's, you know, staring at him and it's wiggling its tail. And so Billy thinks it's kind of cute and he pats it on the head and the, the dragon's kind of excited about that. And, and they go downstairs together and he points out to his mom. He's like, mom, there's a dragon. And she said, there's no such thing as a dragon. And she's looking right at it. And so yeah. he's kind of kind of confused. He's like, you know, this dragon's right here. I what are you, see it. What are you talking about? <laughs> so he goes back upstairs and the dragon does the same thing. It comes up to him and he wags its tail. But as the story goes, he said, if there's no such thing as something, it's kind of silly to pat it on the head. So he doesn't acknowledge it. He goes back downstairs and it's the size of a dog now. 
and he eats breakfast and he's eating pancakes and the dragon's on the table eating the pancake, eating his, eating his pancakes. So his mom makes more pancakes and the dragon eats those too. And then he only gets one and he says, that's all I really wanted anyway. He starts compromising. And he says, there's this dragon eating my pancakes. And his mom says, there's no such thing as dragons. And so that as the story goes, every time they neglect it together, like at one point it's the size of the room and his mom has to climb out the windows to get into a different room to clean the house. And she still says there's no such thing as a dragon. Eventually it gets so big, it takes up the whole house and a bakery truck goes by and he's hungry. So the dragon takes off and the whole house goes with it. So literally the house goes with it. The dad comes home. It's not, the house is gone. <laughs> so powerful. He looks around and the mailman's there and he says that your house went that way. So he starts chasing down the house. Eventually he finds the house and he said, how did this happen? Yeah. And Billy said, it was the dragon. And as, as soon as his mom starts to say, there's no such thing, he says, there is a dragon. And it's destroyed everything. And he pats it on the head and it destroyed everything. Ate his pancakes, made his mom have to spend all day cleaning the house because she couldn't get into the rooms because she had to go in and out through the windows. And then the whole house was gone. Um, and then Billy pats it on the head, and as fast as it grew, it starts to shrink. And when it's the size of a kitten again, it's kind of ironic and, and funny. His mom says, uh, "I don't mind dragons this big." Yeah. And then she says, right. "How do you? Why do you think it had to grow so big?" And he says, "I don't know, but I think it just wanted to be noticed." Yeah. When we don't acknowledge our problems. Right? We don't look, we refuse to look at them for what they are. They keep growing and growing and get to a point where it seems unmanageable. So I've always liked that part where she says, you know, I don't mind it this size. Mm -hmm. I, I can deal with this. Totally. Right? Not when it's taking off of the house. Nobody can deal with that. So, um, yeah, I think that's such a powerful analogy. And I'm so happy you included that in the book. Yeah, it's, I think I, I, I was kind of piecing together um, kind of like the final, the final element. And the reason I brought that story up is because, uh, again, this paradox of like, don't man up, circle up. Mm -hmm. And you kind of have to man up too. Yeah. Right. It's a but combo. it's, but it's, it's the baggage is the point is like the baggage, the word man up is loaded with all of this baggage of like, get over it, move on. It's like neglect it. Right. Which you don't want to do. And uh, and in the in the empowering context of looking at man up is to face it, yeah. square, face to face. What's your dragon? Right, right. Because as you've noticed from the story, and as you eloquently pointed out, what you do not face grows and multiplies. It's like the weeds of a garden. You don't need to water weeds; they grow on their own accord. <laughs> And if you don't trim them and uproot them, if you don't face them, they, they take over the garden, right? Just like the dragon takes over the house. And so I have my own personal experiences with this. Um, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of physical health challenges right now. And, uh, but, but it's not something that happened overnight. This is something that has taken uh, almost a decade right. to come to pass. And, uh, and what we tend to do as men wearing masks is we use it to provide and protect. And so protect is typically ourselves, so we, we use it to hide. But providing 
is another way we use it. And I used my mask where my physical health was damaged. I hurt myself in 2014 in the gym. And instead of going right into that and acknowledging that it created that, you know, even the the belief systems that I held that led me to that injury was I, I obviously didn't have enough confidence in myself because I was trying to prove it in the gym mm-hmm. or else I wouldn't have been lifting that much weight. So obviously I was oh, I dealing with self-worth challenges and trying to overcome it. And if you go into chapter seven, um, there's an idea around learning your edge and leaning just beyond it. So you haven't gotten to that bit yet, but I think you'll like that. Um, and I was leaning way beyond it. And the two big mistakes that men make is they um, they have either laziness or delusion. Laziness is you don't do enough, so you never meet your edge. Mm-hmm. Delusion is you go way too far, and that's what happened. And it's because I was trying to overcome my self-worth challenges with uh, exercise and going to the gym and hiding that with, with uh, looking good, right? right? So- Man, looking good will really fuck your life up. <laughs> and now I have yeah. to face the dragon that I created for myself or ride the dragon, whichever one you prefer, because some people want to slay the dragons, but you could also get on its back and start you know, being friends with it. Um, and, uh, and so what I ended up doing was instead of facing the dragon, I, I turned to success. So I turned to public speaking and sales and making money and I, and I was using my success mask to hide the areas of my life that weren't working. Right, you were neglecting those. Right, it's the husband whose marriage isn't working, and so he spends all day at the office yeah. so he can become successful and forget the fact that it ain't working at home. And um, his house is crumbling. His house is falling apart, yeah. right? And so my body was falling apart, and uh, I didn't pay attention to it. And so now I'm here today where... Uh, in Guatemala a couple months ago, I did a cliff jump and I landed on my lower back and I uh, ended up in the hospital for two days. And one of the biggest insights that I had was a couple weeks earlier, I, it's, this is such a whack story. A uh, couple weeks earlier, I listened to, I watched The Matrix. I was in Medellin, Colombia with my friends. Uh, actually, it was in uh, Cartagena, Colombia with uh, a bunch of friends uh, Mos and Abdu and Ian, and we were having just like a fun fun time. I was like, cold. Ian sounds amazing. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yo, Ian, what's it up, It sounds baby? like Ian, it sounds like everyone needs an Ian in their life. No doubt. No doubt, dude. Love you, bro. Yeah. Till the end, baby. <laughs> Till the end, dog. Um, so we were, we were hanging out in Cartagena. We watched The Matrix. And in, in the, one of the lines in The Matrix is Neo says, uh, Morpheus says to Neo, he says, Neo, soon you will realize there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. And I heard that. Such and a good line. So good. And uh, and then and then even before I fell, I started listening to Joe Dispenza's meditations. Mm-hmm. I haven't listened to that. So if you go on Spotify, he has a like a morning meditation. It's free. Twenty minutes. The point is kind of to to stop being stuck based off the conditioned patterns of how you lived. Because if you remember, we talked right at the beginning by thirty five. Yeah. Memorized behaviors, automated habits, and that's just how we live. And so instead of being conditioned of how we've always done things, we can actually create the future from possibility. Mm-hmm. And in the book, I, I provide exercises for creating your own future from possibility, which is what I'm working on right now with my health. Um, so I'm, I'm in the trenches with y'all. Uh, just this is, a, this is a process of me figuring it out as I go. I'm not saying I try my best to communicate with authority and authenticity 
Um, and there's a lot that I have figured out that's in there. Uh, and a lot of it is, you know, I'm in the trenches with y'all. So happy to be doing that with you. Um, so he, in his meditation at the very end, he says, now, if you fail, if you feel like you touched a higher power in this meditation, ask for a sign, ask for a sign that will be so obvious that you will not be able to ignore it. And, uh, and so I'm doing my daily meditation every day and it keeps saying this, keeps saying this, keeps saying this. One day I'm at the cliff jump spot with all my buddies and, oh man, uh, Ian jumps, great. I jump, great. Mosin jumps, great. We come back up to the top. Ian does this like really cool, like Cristiano Ronaldo celebration when Cristiano Ronaldo uh, kicks a goal. He celebrates with this like move. Um, and so he did that move and he, and he landed. And I was like, oh, I gotta do something cool too. And I literally said out loud, the first one was for fun. The second one's for my ego. Oof. I said that aloud. And then <laughs> Ian, because he's God, Ian plays Miley Cyrus, It's the Climb. <laughs> I can almost see it. The dream I'm dreaming, but there's a voice inside my head say, you'll never reach it. And then it goes, gets to the climax. Um, and I jump off and I do a flip. And I've done this flip a million times, but never from this height. And when I should have landed, I continued to rotate and I landed on my back and I, la and, and I landed myself in the hospital for two days. Um, I was in shock. My whole, uh, the, the abdominals are like a corset, right? And the whole thing sh like shocked to protect my spine, right. which is exactly what it was designed to do. So thank you for doing that. Um, hardly wobbled my way up. I'm wearing my mask. Oh, I'm good, guys. Like, no problem. Like, I'm good. Like, everyone's like, you want to get some food? I'm like, no, nah, I got No, nah, I got to just go home and I just got to <laughs> take care. You know, I just got something I got to take care of at home. So everyone goes to dinner and I'm like, all right, I'm going to lay down on the floor. And as soon as I get up, I'm going to be good. So I laid down on the ground and 15 minutes later when the timer went off, I could not stand. Couldn't get up. And so I called the ambulance in Guatemala and asked Goodness. them to bring me to the hospital because I wanted to get x-rays in my back, make sure my spine didn't break. Uh, and so, you know, 2014, hurt myself. Didn't listen to it. Didn't improve it. Didn't heal it. Didn't get beyond that dragon. Didn't face it right head on, square on, and say, I'm going to tackle this thing. Instead, I went and I wore my mask and I took care of other areas of my life. And I was like, oh, I'm great at all this stuff. While neglecting this massive dragon that was taking over my life. It was waiting for you to take the jump. I was waiting for me to take the jump because, you know, as Joe says, like, you know, a sign, a sign is going to come where yeah. you're going to realize that you're going to have to put your commitment before your ego. Yeah. And so now that's, you know, that's where I'm at right now. Um, facing my dragon. Um, and it's interesting because like I'm launching this book and, uh, you know, most people when they launch a book, I'm sure would be on the phones all day and like working on getting out in the world. And it's like, I spend a couple hours a day, like you know, doing important work on the book. But most of the day right now, I'm exercising. Oh, good. And I'm doing my fitness program that's designed for me to face this dragon because I want to be, I want to walk the path. Yeah. That's, that's what important. That's what I want to do. It's like, will I sacrifice a few people not reading the book potentially um, in the short term because I'm walking the path and uh, taking care of my health? Yes. And I think in the long term, everyone will thank me for taking care of myself. I agree with that. And, and um, I think people are going to find their way to this book because the book speaks for itself. So the fact that you 
are practicing what you preach can only add to it mm. and not take away. Yeah. I don't see how that would happen. Yeah. Um, Thank I, you. I want, you're welcome. I want to talk to you really quickly about chapter three. Mm. Because when you, when someone looks at you, right, like this young man who has, has it together, seems to have it all figured out. I mean, you're, you've had so many successes, right, under your belt. You don't think like, dang, he's been through so much. Sure. And in chapter three, you're so vulnerable with something that, you know, a tragedy that happened to your family. How did it feel putting that to paper? Uh, very healing. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, remember the first time that I wrote it down, I was in High Park in Toronto. Just a park near my house. I used to uh, spend a lot of many hours walking there. Uh, and uh, just sat down and... At the time, I was working on the book 45 minutes a day. This was at the beginning. This was a summer of 2020 and uh, wrote chapter one, wrote chapter two, got to chapter three. I started writing this and I just remember sitting in the park and just weeping by myself. Right. But it wasn't a, uh, it, like, you know, it is a, it's a sad, like, fuck. Yeah. But then it's like a, it's like a, you know, like, you know, like I'm going to, I'm going to live my life knowing how precious it is. Right, so it was very cathartic, um, you know. In the in the the story I talk about, you know, uh, I feel like I had healed a lot from that, right? Because if you don't feel, you can't heal. Mm -hmm. If you don't feel, you can't heal. That's why, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons why alcohol and addiction um, are so challenging for people. But one of the major challenges is that it prevents you from feeling what you need to feel in order to heal. And yeah. feeling is very uncomfortable. But who said healing was comfortable? Mm -hmm. And growing and getting better. Right. It's, yeah. Right. Absolutely. Um, how's your brother and your sister-in-law? Yeah, it's a, ch it's a challenging, challenging situation. Like, I can't imagine... I can't imagine what they're going through. Like I talked about in the book, I took an arrow when I lost my nephew, um, but they took spears, right? There's just a different, there's a different degree of uh, yeah. of uh, experience. Um, I could tell, I could talk about it if you want, like just what what happened. So people, absolutely, if you're yeah, if you're comfortable, yeah, like with um, it. yeah. So uh, in in uh, the winter of of uh, 2019, going into 2020. Um, I was in my brother's garage because he has a woodworking workshop and we were working on a crib because his his son was going to be born in a couple months. And uh, I you know, just remember it being cold and we were blasting System of a Down because it was a shared favorite from when we were younger. Um, and we were just working away on this, working away on this thing um, so that, you know, he'd have a bed, right? And um, one of the tenets in the code of honor that we observe at Circle Up is be an example for children. So I was kind of excited about it. I was like, all right, finally, I'm going to get my shit together so I can take care of my, you know, my, my nephew. I'm going to be a great uncle. It's going to be sweet. I got a reason to, you know, be responsible. Uh, and, uh, you know, months went by and everyone knows what happened. Uh, March 2020, global event. Um, you know, whether, you know, whatever side you're on it, it doesn't matter. It impacted everybody. 
And what happened in Toronto was that nobody could go to the hospital and nobody yeah. could go into businesses. And so, you know, it was the day of, of the birth and I got a message, you know, we knew we weren't going to be able to be in the hospital. So the night before it was just like, uh, love you, bro. Like, you know, message me, call me when, when everything's, when everything's done. And I remember going to sleep and I, uh, you know, had a smile because um, it was a dark time for the whole world. And I was like, man, this is going to be like, a, this there's is gonna be, a glimmer of, there's going to be a light in the yeah. world, like a hope, um, something to hold on to and clutch on to. Woke up the next day and I just vividly remember um, it because it was the pandemic. Uh, my roommate and I, Ian, we lived 300 meters away from work. And that was like uh, the most important decision with where we lived was how close would we be so that we didn't have to commute. And I was like, that's how we made our decision was we're going to be close. Um, so <laughs> the whole world was at home, but we lived in a basement apartment. <laughs> so clearly like that was the most important was how close we were, not comfort. Um, and we lived in a basement apartment. We were like, we're not going to be cramped in all day when like we're not working from home. It's not happening. So yeah. we went to the office and it was two of us in this 200 person office. And I remember the light was shining behind me onto my desk. I'm looking at my phone across the room was Ian. And he was reading Ernest Beckert, um, denial of death. And, <laughs> and I, and I sent a, you know, it was just waiting for the call and, and, uh, got a call from my brother and it was not the call that I expected to get. Um, he said there was complications with the birth. They used the ultrasound and found that the, you know, he, his, he stopped breathing. So they probably had the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. So they did an emergency C-section. And when they pulled out the baby, um, he wasn't breathing, but they were able to resuscitate him and they brought him to ICU in intense care. And, uh, and so I was just like, what the fuck? Like, holy shit. Yeah. Such a such a shock. You don't think those things happen nowadays? I mean, it's like it's like the same thing of finding out somebody commits suicide, and you're like, how could this happen? It's like, well, seventy percent of men, you know, seventy percent of suicides are men, and it's like, it's, you know, it's five hundred thousand people a year, yeah, uh, five hundred thousand men a year, and uh, and actually, the more you learn about the crazy tragedies that happen, the more you realize it's like very common. So it happens, um, and that's that was our family situation. Is everyone was just like overwhelmed with this wave of just like holy shit um he said they wouldn't know anything uh until they got an mri uh from sick kids which is a different hospital and uh you know we just tried to pray for him and and uh offer him you know our love from a distance because we couldn't be with him and uh when they did the MRI, um, there was no brain activity. So um, they made the decision, which I think was the right decision, to bring him home and to spend the last couple hours, last couple days, last couple weeks, just you know, as his body slowly deteriorated um, with 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 the family. So we got to be with him. Um, and I got to, I got to see him and I got to hold him and I got to play guitar for him and I got to be there for my brother and, and for Laura and, um, you know, he, he died. Yeah. Um, uh, I told the story in the book because the philosophy at, at Circle Up is, you know, I got you. And after that experience, you know, the, the question was, how is Adam and, and Laura doing, um, you know, it's super challenging. I think they're very strong and they're resilient and they're doing their best to, to 
to live. Right. Right. Um, I think I it just personal belief is that, you know, that's something that you need to really heal from. And uh, it's not not easy. Um, and unless you go unless you go into it and you face it and you and you try your best to experience that emotion as deeply as possible, it, you know, it's going to going to be carried with you. So that was my you know, I brought this to my men's team and uh, someone said, Jonathan looks like shit. What's going on? And I said, you know, everyone knew what happened. And, and, uh, we kind of like try to try my best to, you know, scream and, and share and, um, get, let it out. And it wasn't the same as being in person with my men and having them hold me and shit. So that didn't work. Uh, and over the course of a couple of weeks, my, I just lost all my energy, started smoking weed every day. Um, was just like not, not, not present at work. And, uh, one day Ian said, Hey man, like you don't look like yourself. Let's do something together. Um, let's hang out. Let's let's be together. Um, so we made a plan that we would go to the park and we would just like fool around and just like dance and walk in the park. I like walking in the woods. It's fun. Um, so we synced up our headphones. We made a playlist and uh, and we started walking. We um, did a microdose of uh, psilocybin mushrooms and we took an edible and we started walking um, and I could feel it coming on as I was <laughs> walking in the forest. And uh, we got into the high park and threw our bags down on this like unmarked path that I've never been on before. And we started clearing the ground to make like a dance floor. And uh, the song came on. It was uh, Adam Bayer going down or going under. And it was just like deep techno. It was was just like, just kind of like we were just being like crazy and silly and just like yelling at the trees and screaming at, you know, the squirrels and just like dancing like he was, I was spinning him with my hands and he was like, eh, he was being silly and um, just felt light and loose and silly. And uh, another great song came on. And then eventually uh, one of my favorite songs of all time who really connects me to Noah um, is a song called Beausoleil by Ash. And that song came on and uh, I looked over at Ian and he wasn't dancing anymore. He was, he was at his eyes closed. He was kind of just swaying to the music. So I was like, okay, I'll follow along. The second I closed my eyes, Instantly, I saw Noah, and I saw my brother, and I saw my parents, and I thought about how impossibly tragic this whole situation was, um, and how unfair it all was, um, and how he never even got a chance. And... uh, yeah, when I when I saw him, I started crying. And uh, Ash's guitar was kind of hitting a climax. And the next thing you know, I had a hand on my shoulder. Uh, and Ian was there and he didn't have to say anything. I knew what he was communicating to me. It's, you know, I got you. And he gave me a big hug. And as soon as he hugged me, just floodgates opened. And uh, I was really able to just grieve. And uh, it was uh, very cathartic. And uh, it was just like, I know Ian's got my back and I know um, Noah's in a better place, right? And it doesn't make it easier, um, but I've I've repurposed what the experience is. A couple of weeks later, I was in the park and uh, I wrote a poem for Noah. He inspired me. If you don't mind, I share. Absolutely. Sorry. Yeah. Um. Did I leave the world better than I found it? Man can anchor his entire existence 
in this fundamental question. The earth, your children, the surf, your decision. The ripples of daily action touch shores beyond comprehension. Simple deed, righteous and kind. Its depths unknown, its lasting effects were blind. So when you wake tomorrow and reflect on how to live and who to be, remember that by being you, I am me. And he, he only lived for just over a week. And uh, because he lived, I want to be a better example for children. Yeah. Right? right. Um, and uh, Circle Up wouldn't exist without him. Um, this book wouldn't exist without him. He's the dedication for this book. Um, I knew, I knew that, that, that feeling that my dad, when I was, we didn't get into the story, but my dad, when I was struggling in high school and he had my back and he said, you're not alone. And he was ruthlessly compassionate with me. Um, and he, he made me feel like, you know, I got you. And Ian, in every way that he shows up in my life, he makes me feel like, you know, I got you. And in the way that I want to be there for the men in my life and the men of Circle Up, and then the, the philosophy that we create and the philosophy that we embody, it's, you know, I got you. Um, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be possible without Noah. So, um, you, know, of, you know, his life, his life and his death has meaning to me. And yeah, um, for, for my brother and for his fiance, like, uh, I got their back no matter what. And it's the hard, I can't imagine anything more difficult and more challenging. No, <clears throat> definitely not. And I, I mean, I can't imagine going through something like that and then being able to share it, you know, with everybody. So. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think the the other the other part is that the other part is like with with healing is like I don't hold it the same way anymore, right? So if I hadn't if I hadn't felt like I had grieved from it, like it doesn't mean that I'm not sad about the fact that he's gone. It's that I've I've grieved the fact that he's gone. He's like he is gone, right. and it, the beauty was that he was here. Yeah. The beauty was that he he lived, and the beauty was that we got to to experience his light and to glean, um, you know, lessons from it and and uh, and love from it. It's like the the old cliche. It's like better to have uh, loved and lost than to have not loved at all. It's like absolutely, I believe that to be true. Right? Would I have done it any differently? We first of all, you couldn't, because what's happened happened, and what is right. is. Um, but of course I wouldn't do anything different because I, I got to got to be with him. It's so it's uh there's such a calling to live in the past, right? To be in that space of the what was and what could have been and what if I had done something else, you know? Do you find it's most difficult to be in the present? It's just not practical. It just doesn't work. There's a, there's only now. Yeah. 
There's only now. Like you can glean lessons from from the errors in judgment, right? But like the question, like, was it even an error in judgment? All right, because like, would you be who you are now if it wasn't for that experience? So everything you can't take anything away. Like you can't. Like I mean, a lot of people won't like to hear this, but you can't take the you can't take Hitler out of history or the Holocaust out of history or any terrible thing that's ever happened to you or anyone you know, or else we wouldn't be right here right now and you wouldn't hear this. Yeah. It's like it's, it all had to happen. And it's all, I mean, you can believe if things are happening for a reason or not. Um, and But you can use, again, what's happened to help shape your personal philosophy on how you want to live. So, I mean, there's just no value in uh, in living in the past because you're actually just experiencing what already happened again now unless you're trying to glean from it because like as an example um there is value in in going into past experiences so that you can heal that makes sense but if you ruminate in it and you're and you're just dragging it along with you or um my friend sam demma has a analogy that he likes of like carrying it in a backpack all the beliefs of other people and all the ideas of of what expectations of other people and the things that have happened to you and it's just like this bag that keeps getting heavier and it's weighing you down it's just like where is life it's like right here with you and me like right now like what you're listening to today um and if you're interested in the power of now Eckhart Tolle wrote a great book about power of now and how literally there's no such thing as other than this moment right it doesn't exist where is it I don't know and like yeah you can you can glean lessons and it's like do that and then once you've done that Right. Yeah, but there's a difference in yeah. uh, looking at your past from an objective point of view as opposed to living there in that space, in True. that moment that's constantly just, you know, becoming your reality. Yeah, and you might be doing that because you haven't healed from it. Yeah. For sure. It's like, it's like shit, what's the hardest thing to deal with? Uh, trauma. Right. So PTSD or other experiences. And I'm not like I'm not saying that I'm an expert in these uh, in these concepts um, other than, you know, I've tr I've done my best to heal from my own experiences. Um, and I'm obviously still healing because I'm working on trauma that I inflicted on myself with my body. But there's a research with a woman. Uh, I should I should find her name so that I could do a better job in the future. Um, but who was working with women who had been raped. And it's emotional, it's physical, it's spiritual. It's, uh, it's, it's like what more, like, how, like that is trauma um, and that is challenging. And a lot of women can resonate with that because they've been through that experience. And here's what she found is that women can heal from that experience. And how do they do that? Well, what they did in her practice was they brought women in and they had them to imagine what they went through in as much detail as possible, as vividly as possible, with as much emotion attached to it as possible. And the women who were able to recreate the experience and feel it as much as possible were the ones that healed the most from it. And yeah. it's like, that's the last thing you would want to do is to go back into that right, experience. To relive it. Yeah. To relive it, but that's how you heal. That's so interesting. And so, yeah. uh, that's, I mean, that is a valuable uh, use of, of the of the past, right? Is if you haven't healed. Because if you keep going back there or if you're, if you find yourself just unable to be present or if you find yourself, um, yeah, holding on, mm -hmm. 
grasping, cl- clinging on to past experiences, then then the, 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 that might be an indicator that you haven't let go of those experiences and that you haven't gleaned what you were supposed to glean from them and you haven't actually healed from that experience. Because it's like as an example, like we're talking about mental, emotional trauma. Yeah. But let's say you hurt your shoulder. Well, what do most people do when they hurt their shoulder? The first thing that happens is the doctor or the person that they go to says, you'll never be the same. Isn't that the first thing they say yeah. is you'll, you can't expect to be you know true. stronger after you injure yourself? Yeah. Well, I know people in the health space that would say that is utter bullshit. And they would say that injury is an opportunity to level up and to come back way stronger than you ever were because it's actually exposing you to a weakness that you had. Otherwise, how would you have, how would you have gotten injured? Exactly. Right. And it's hard to say that exclusively in the, in the, in the mental, emotional space, because a lot of things are out of your control. Like, you know, your house burnt down and, you know, you got into a car accident, you know, this, this terrible thing happened, but, but we can actually recontextualize healing where if an injury happens, you can be stronger as a result of that. It doesn't mean that it wasn't terrible that that thing happened, but it's an opportunity. Like as an example, the the man that wrote the foreword for this book, Eric Windler, he's the executive director of uh, Jack.org mm-hmm. and his wife, Sandra uh, Hannington. Um, they lost their son to suicide. He was a Queens University student, first year, and he killed himself. And the police officer opened the door. Nobody, uh, the only one unaccounted for was Jack. And told the family that the son had killed himself. And uh, and so, like, how do you come back from something like that? But they did. But they did. And they found meaning in it. And they found purpose in it. And they said, if this can happen to me, it can happen to anybody. And they found out that it does. Because suicide is the number one health-related cause of young people between 15 and 24. So it's happening all the time. It's happening to families all over the place. And they said, we're not, we don't want this to happen to any other family. So we're going to do something about this. It reminds me of Viktor Frankl. And, and, and he said, uh, you know, with, any, with, the, with the more powerful why, you can, you can bear with any how. Yes. Right? So this terrible thing happened. And, and they found purpose and meaning inside of it. Um, and it, it doesn't mean it's not an absolute tragedy because it's, it's terrible that they had to experience that and that their family went through that. And, and they, and they, and they, uh, and they found meaning in it. Um, and they made the world a better place as a result of it. Um, I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for Eric and his family being who they are. And so, um, healing is a priority for circle up, um, and, and our men's circle. But in order to do that, you need to feel in order to do that, you need to, um, tell the truth. In order to do that, you need to come together in community um, and take off your mask and be honest about it. Yeah. What do you think our society can do differently to encourage uh, these behaviors, these positive behaviors? Yeah. So this is where this is where I lo- I love my job because the, the what we can do differently is we can man up, yeah. right? This book is about why you shouldn't man up and. Circle up is about taking the opportunity inside of man up and to and to 
and to make it in circle up. So I'm being cheeky when I say you need to man up. But so circling up now involves the opportunity that's inside of man up, which is right. to take full responsibility for your situation. So instead of, so what can we do differently? Instead of waiting for somebody to take care of us, instead of waiting for the government to put some program in place that's going to give us the opportunity to be able to heal better mm -hmm. or waiting for pharmaceutical companies to come up with some miracle drug that's going to help us to stop feeling our pain anymore. We need to take full ownership for our own healing and to take responsibility for our own lives. Because as Jim Rohn said, it's not the wind, it's the set of the sail. Do you think our society encourages victimization? Encourages. Or facilitates it in any way? I don't know. I, I don't I don't know. Um I think it's just easier. Yeah. I think it's just easier to point the finger and to blame somebody else. I agree with that. Right. So uh is like culture set up in a way that encourages it. I don't know if I've analyzed that enough to feel confident in in my delivery of uh what I all I know is that uh the times where I blame um, the time, the times where my life doesn't get any better because who's going to improve my life other than me. And the excuse is not going to help. Nah, it doesn't help. It's bullshit. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a like, band -aid. yeah, it's like you can give me all the reasons and then it's like, okay. And now what are you going to do about but it? You're still in the same place. Nothing has changed. No. Even though you have this list of reasons, you're still where you are. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy to change. But I feel like nothing worth having is ever easy. Well you said. Know? Yeah. Nothing. That's like you said. It's like who said your growth was supposed to be comfortable? Your whatever job you're after, whatever your definition of success is, it's never going to be easy. Yeah. You know, good yeah. things aren't just handed to you. Right? You could argue. Really? <laughs> yeah, you, you think? You could argue. Yeah, like a lot okay, of the let's... like a lot of the spiritual community that I spent time with in Guatemala and in other places in the world talk about um, you know, becoming the type of person that attracts those types of things. Oh, no, 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 right? definitely. But it you have to put in the work. You just said it. You have to become the type yeah, of person. Yeah. That takes work on your part. Yeah, or play. It could take play. It just or depends play. on which philosophy yeah. you, you want to go with. But uh, I, tol I totally agree. It takes some sort of effort I and totally energy. Agree. I totally agree. Like yeah. Jim Rohn said, uh, success is not something you pursue because what you pursue eludes you. Mm -hmm. He says success is something you attract yeah. by the person you become. So if you go work on yourself, you become more disciplined, you become have a more pleasing personality, you have integrity, you keep your word, you um, you know, follow through, you 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 put in 100% effort, like you deliver excellence everywhere you go, you make people's day better, you're generous, like all these things, then you can expect those things to be attracted to you. Yeah. So, uh but I but I totally agree. It's like you know, don't like wh why would you even want a handout? It's not the same. Mm -mm. It doesn't have value in it. I mean, you can just look at uh, the the children that I mean that like struggle creates strong people. 
you know, struggle also cripples and destroys people. But it's pressure that creates the diamond. And these are like all cliche statements. But it's just like when you look at a lot of uh, kids that came from really privileged, wealthy families, like a lot of them don't have meaning, don't have purpose, never developed like really strong skill sets, um, never never understood how to hold on to money. So blow the money. And then they, uh, you know, they're depressed. Yeah. It's like, how could these kids be depressed? Well, it's like they didn't have to become the type of person that would be able to <laughs> accomplish all these things, right? Or that right. would be the type of person to be happy. So uh, anyway, I mean, ultimately, if you're experiencing uh, depression or these symptoms, like I'm experiencing these symptoms in my body, it's like I did it to myself. Who else can I possibly blame? Like I could say society was set up in a way that hooked me up. Um, it's like, yeah, you know, kind of did, but but like I chose to participate in it. Right. And it's like, well, maybe Jonathan didn't know any better. It's like, okay, well, I do now. So I got a choice. It's choice time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. uh, but I, but I, I do hope that the, the book provides a lot of hope for people. And most importantly, that they're not alone because we're all dealing with challenges. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion, but I happen to think that the backbone of our society. Uh, is strong men and women but right now we're focusing on men mm -hmm. and until the men of our world are there you know healthy mind body and soul we're gonna have broken homes and communities that are failing and governments falling apart mm -hmm. we need men yeah we do yeah i uh i agree yeah i agree and I, I mean, like I was just trying to stay in my lane with this book in the same way where people will say, well, masculinity means toxic masculinity and they conflate the two. A lot of people think because I'm pro men means I'm anti women. It's like, I'm pro men too. <laughs> it's like, how does that, how, like, when did I say that? No. Right. And so I agree, but I also, I also agree that other. we need this, we need, uh, you know, strong women. And, uh, that's why women's circles are beautiful and co-ed circles are beautiful. But, uh, yeah. this book was specifically about men. It was about how you don't need to struggle alone, how you can tell the truth. You I mean, can take off your mask and you can come together in community because you know we got you. Yeah. But it's evident that the, in, in the world we live in today, our men are facing a crisis. So they're the focus right now. And I, this book is going to help tremendously. I, I loved the fact, not the fact, the way that you have your chapter, and then there are some very poignant questions at the end. Mm. Uh, so it becomes very interactive experience. If you uh, want it to be. Yeah. If you, want, I, if you want to be a participant. I think that's genius because uh, sometimes we can be passive readers. And the fact that you, you've created this space for people to put you know, pen to paper. Mm -hmm. And we both know that there's a magic that happens when you have to write something down, Yeah, you know, where it has to go from here, from your head down to being a physical thing. The fact that you've made a space for that, it's, I yeah. think it's going to help. Thank you. I love the analogy of the farmer. I think it's one of the best analogies because there's four seasons um, and Jim Rohn always said, life is like the seasons. Mm -hmm. And in the springtime, you go and you plant seeds. And so if you read the book, you're planting seeds in your mind of a new way of looking at masculinity. And I think that that in of itself is really powerful because come fall time, some of those seeds will blossom 
Some won't, but some will blossom. And the difference between being a passive reader and being an active reader is the active reader is like the farmer that goes out in the summertime and he waters the plants. He, he waters the seeds and he de-weeds the garden and he trims the plants as they grow. And he, uh, you know, he makes sure that the, the bugs and the, and the scarecrows and everything aren't picking his, his, uh, his crop. And so the, the active reader will get way more out of this book because they're the farmer that goes in the summer and takes care of the seeds he planted so that when fall comes around, and he goes to harvest, he will have an abundant crop because he took care of it all summer. Yeah, that's perfect. It's beautiful. Well, I can I ask you to read a, a short tidbit before oh, yeah, we sure. end? Sure, sure. Okay. Did you have a section you wanted me to I read? I do, I do. Oh, wow, that's nice. So I want you to read that paragraph. Just that paragraph. I mean, you can read more, yeah, 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 but yeah. I, I didn't want to ask too much. Sure. Which chapter is this? This is this the introduction. Is the introduction. Okay. Yes. Yo, I see Eckhart Tolle there. That's great. Okay. <laughs> it's Here a good go. page. Yeah, Eckhart Tolle, yo, if you're listening, appreciate you, brother. Thanks for being a spiritual being. Um, here we go. Page seven. We know that a future exists where men can come together and give a fuck about each other. We know this because we're seeing the evolution before our eyes. This book and our effort at Circle Up is only possible as a result of standing on top of the shoulders of giants. Men who've come before us and have dedicated their lives to digging the well of our better future. If you're called to, I invite you to use this book as continued fuel to be part of this movement, to stand for our men's mental health, and as a result, the well-being of our families and our communities. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I I love that part. I think it's amazing and such a call to action and said so beautifully why we need strong men and why what you're creating is it's going to make such a difference. And we did not mention that all the proceeds from this book are going to uh, jack.org. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I owe them uh a debt of uh, gratitude for sure um, for many reasons and i'll just i'll just add before i get into that um that the quote before that section was Eckhart Tolle saying that if you find the circumstances of your life to be intolerable you have one of three choices you can remove yourself from the situation you can change it or you can accept it totally and in this case the situation we're in with men's mental health i feel that there's no other choice than to change it. And, uh, you know, it's like, who's going to do it? Yeah. Right? And that's us. So um, that's the reason I wrote that. And, uh, yeah, Jack.org, yo, what's up? Uh, Eric Windler, team at Jack.org, appreciate y'all. Um, I didn't know anything about mental health other than what I had been through. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found Toastmasters when I started working in sales in Toronto and they're just like a public speaking organization where you can come practice. And, uh, I did that because Jim Rohn said you should work harder on yourself than you do on your job. Can I ask what led you to public speaking? Because that's like the thing people fear the most. Yeah. Even over death. Yeah. They fear public speaking. Yeah. It was just kind of practical for me because I was working in sales and, uh, and I, and Jim Rohn said, you you should work harder on yourself than you do in your job. He said, if you work hard on your job, you can make a living. You work hard on yourself, you can make a fortune. 
And that excited me. And so I said, well, what can I do to work on myself? Like I'm working in sales, let's find a transferable skill. Let me work on my public speaking skills. And there's groups for that. So that's an easy way to work on it. Um, and I, you know, I just started telling some stories and uh, eventually, you know, an opportunity was presented to me where they said, you know, I know some young people that could use that story. Long way down the road, I was in a room with Eric Windler, where he was on stage sharing about Jack.org, and uh, I spoke on that stage as well. And he basically said, you know, we'd love to have you come in as a speaker with us. And I spent three years as a speaker with them. And uh, they trained me on uh, mental health and on communication. And they gave me so much opportunity to go into schools and high schools and, uh, and um, universities across Canada, businesses across Canada, and to speak to their people about mental health education. I just like wouldn't be who I am as an advocate uh, if it wasn't for them, because I started off with youth mental education. And then I did my men's weekend in 2018 and uh, learned that there was a whole space for men designed for these men's circles, like the men, like I said, that dug the well. And I was able to put them together. But if it wasn't for Jack.org, I wouldn't be able to do that. And so they're the number one charity in Canada for youth mental health education and empowerment. And they do more than just teach people about mental health. They actually empowered me to advocate for myself and for other people. So they are a leadership development organization as well. So when it comes to where was the best place for me to donate the money, it was the people that helped me become the man that I am today to be able to write the book that I did. That's very admirable. That's very admirable. Thank you. I don't know if I'll do that for the next one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sure you'll figure it out when you get there. I'm sure. Yes. But um, yeah, I want to encourage everybody to pick up a copy of this book to check out the links that we'll have below for your podcast, jack.org, Circle Up. Am I missing anything? Nope, that's it. Yeah, that's perfect. Congratulate you on this amazing accomplishment. Thank you so this much. This is amazing, I amazing. It. And I'm it's, super hard. Yeah. It's rewarding, though. So happy that you're here and yeah. that you were able to share with us and be so open. And uh, we're lucky to have you. Thank you for having me, Miami Lit. And Thank you, you should stay me. Miami more often, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I'm going to do a, just a fun uh, tour November in Miami. Um, this this guy on social media who's a, a health practitioner. And I'm following his program right now. And I really want to meet him in person. And that's kind of like inspiration for me. What's to, his like, name? Uh, his name's Tommy John. Okay. You can find him on, on Instagram, TJ, Tommy John on Instagram. I highly recommend it. He's just like no bullshit. Um, which is the kind of the kind of communication that I need right now, especially when it comes to my health. Mm-hmm. It's like face the dragon, man. Like no bullshit. Like you own this. Like no one's gonna heal yourself but you. So that's right. where I'm at. Uh, and anyway, uh, I want to go there because that way I'm inspired to actually do the program. Right? You got to put your you got to put yourself on the line somehow. Yeah. It's like when the book wasn't being written. We didn't talk about this, but it's at the end of chapter seven when the book wasn't being written because I started uh, started strong and then there was like a like a four week period where I didn't, didn't write anything. And I was like, seriously considering, is this even thing going to happen? And I'm in Guatemala. I did the cliff jump. I landed on my back and it's like, man, like I'm not walking the path. So mm-hmm. I hired a coach and I spent a lot of money and I invested in my, in the book in somebody to hold me accountable. And I put myself on the line to get it done. And my whole presence changed. My whole being changed. What was so, what was before like, Oh, 
I got to sit down and write is like, I'm going to write this book, you know? And, and I got excited about it. Yeah. And I was like, this is happening. And, uh, and it wouldn't be possible if I didn't do that. Um, there's a, a lyric from a Russ song. Uh, the song's called Money on Me. And the lyric goes, I bet on myself and I don't even gamble. <laughs> I bet on myself and I don't even gamble. An investment you make I in yourself that. is not a gamble. Yeah. Because it, it goes into you. Yeah, it's and an automatic so, win. And so uh, do that and put yourself on the line. And so I, I invested in this coach as well, this health coach. And uh, I'm doing this program right now. And so now I'm going to going to California has me like I, I better show up and like working on working on it. So you're leaving to California? I will in uh, in December. And then hopefully I'll be in if anyone's in Mexico, Mazunte, Mexico for January. And that's the that's the path. Nice. Well, I'm very excited you for, for you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was super yeah, fun. Absolutely. I hope you come back. Thanks for the tea. Yeah, yeah. Miami. So to everybody listening, thank you so much. Be sure to reach out to Jonathan for further questions, comments. Chase your tail